And so this morning I want to talk with you about the sovereignty of God. And believe it or not, it actually deals with us having the victory. You know, because oftentimes people have the idea of the sovereignty of God is that everything that happens in the world, because God is sovereign, he's the one that's done it. He's the one that's put it all into motion. Well, I believe that God is sovereign. But I believe that it's our obedience to him and to his word that allows him to be sovereign in our lives. You know, we, we, we find <clears throat> the two ends of the spectrum within uh, the Christian church. Uh, we, we find, you know, where there's this extreme where just everything that happens, it's got to be, that was God's plan because God is sovereign. What's always amazing to me that if that's what sovereignty is, if that's what God being sovereign truly is, why are we constantly trying to get out of his plan and out of his will? If God is sovereign and everything that comes into our lives is a result of God's plan for us, then when sickness or disease would try to attach itself to our bodies, if God is sovereign in that sense, that he put it there to teach us something, to to get something through to us. And so if that's the case, why in the world do we ever go to a doctor? Because if God in his sovereignty has placed sickness and disease on us, then we need to keep it until he's ready to take it off of us. But it's not right. Or... It appears that you have lack in your life and you want to upgrade your housing or whatever it may be, a vehicle. And so what do you do? You go to the bank, no offense bankers, but you go to the bank for what reason? To get money. Why? To buy something. Well, if God was sovereign, in the sense that we, many people believe, then he'd, he'd just give it to you. And so obviously he wants you to be satisfied with what you have. But what we do? We go and we try to get more. Now I believe that God is sovereign. And I believe that God in his wisdom wants to move in each and every one of our lives. And when we begin to talk about faith and when we begin to talk about grace, what we're looking at is how God wants to work his plan in each of our lives. And by faith, we accept what he's already done in our lives. The sovereignty of God sent Jesus to the cross to pay the price for your sin and my sin. God in his sovereignty sent Jesus to pay the price for your sickness and my sickness. God in his sovereignty sent Jesus who was rich to become poor so that your needs and my needs might be met 
according to his riches, not according to ours. But you know, it's not looking around us. If, if we look at sovereignty in the way that many people look at sovereignty, <clears throat> sickness and disease would be of God. Poverty would be of God. Accidents would be of God. The school shooting would be of God. And I don't know what God you're serving. That's not my God. My God is a God of love. Now, bad things happen because we're in a wicked world. But that doesn't mean that it's God's plan. Adam and Eve went against the plan, the will of God. And so we can do that if we choose to. Now, <laughs> we're kind of foolish if we do. But we do it all the time. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Romans, the fifth chapter. And it says, through whom also we have access. Do you notice what it says there? Through whom also, speaking of Jesus, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access through faith, to the grace that God has supplied for us. You know what God's sovereign will for you and I are? It's that we walk in fullness. It's that we walk in health. It's that we walk with all of our needs being met. It's that we walk in a life of abundance and plenty, in a life where we experience joy and contentment, in a life where we have solid relationships with one another in a life where we don't go around feeling stressed out and, and full of worry and full of concern. God revealed to us through his word what his plan, what his purpose is. And when we are willing to submit to his will, when we're willing to submit to his word, God will bring about what his true plan and purpose is for each and every one of us. You know, we've been watching on Nick Netflix some of these series about these, these kings and stuff and queens and all this kind of wonderful stuff. And you know, those kings and the queen are sovereign in the eyes of man. But you know, it only has effect when the individuals around them recognize and acknowledge that sovereignty. You know, believe it or not, the same thing is true in our life. God is sovereign whether we believe it or not. But it won't have an effect upon our life unless we recognize and acknowledge what he's truly done for each and every one of us. Grace is what God did for us before we ever existed. It's before we ever breathed any air. Grace is what Jesus has already done for us. Faith is how we appropriate it in our life. 
Do you realize for it to be effective in our life, we've got to acknowledge and recognize faith and grace. If you, if you just simply acknowledge one without the other, there's going to be imbalance in our lives. You know, Calvinism is the, the belief that it, it, it's all basically the grace of God. It's already been done. Uh, there's nothing you can do. If God wants something done in your life, it's going to be done in your life. That's just how it is. If he doesn't want something done in your life, it's not going to be done. You know, that's what predestination is in in many people's eyes, that some of us are predestined to be saved and some of us are predestined to be damned, to go to hell. Now, that really sounds like a loving God, doesn't it? But you know what? There's those that believe that. But you know, it's his will. This is God's will. God's will is for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God's will is for all to experience sozo, salvation, and come to the knowledge of truth. Sozo in the Greek is an all-inclusive term. It includes salvation, going to heaven, but it includes healing, includes prosperity, includes deliverance. It includes all the graces of God in our life that we're to be walking in has been made available to us through Christ Jesus. And God is not a respecter of persons, so that same grace, that same salvation has been made available to every single man, woman, and child that has ever lived, that is living, and that will ever live. That's the loving God that we serve. But you know what the Bible does talk about predestination? The Bible says that we've all been predestined to be be saved from the standpoint that that's God's plan for each and every human being is for them to experience, for us to experience the blessings, the abundance of God in our life in every single area of life. But you know, it it doesn't just happen. You know, we look at, I made reference to it in in Genesis, when God spoke to Adam and, and to Eve and he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because the day that you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Do you know that it was God's plan for humanity to live a, a righteous life, to live a successful life, to live a life void and free of sin and guilt and shame and everything that goes along with that? But you know, if God would have just created us that way with no choice, we would have been nothing more than a bunch of robots. But God wanted our free will, and so he created us with a free will, and within that free will, we can choose to reject God if we want to. We can choose to reject what he's provided for us and and given us in life. And why do we do that? We do that because we don't really believe. We don't really accept. And so we've got to have this balance in our life. We need to recognize what what God, through Jesus Christ, has truly provided for us. But then we we also need to acknowledge and recognize our part in it. And our part is by faith. 
simply receiving what Jesus has already done for us. Grace is God's part, and he's already provided for it. Faith is our part. That's how we appropriate it in our life. In Proverbs 11, it's not really talking about this, but it says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. And that's what we see oftentimes within the church. We see a false balance. We don't, we don't see the balance of, of faith and grace. We want to just accept that God does it all and we don't do anything, or we want to look at it from the standpoint that we do it all. And we don't have to trust in God. We don't have to have confidence in him because we're capable of doing it in our own um, strength and ability. We need to be at that place where we trust him completely. You know, in Luke, the 10th chapter tells us that he's given us authority. Given who authority? Given us authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now the enemy is defeated, but even in the midst of his defeat, he's given us the authority to carry it out, the defeat that Jesus brought upon our enemy, Satan. But you know what? If we won't walk it out, if we won't accept it, if we won't acknowledge it, if we won't receive it for ourselves, it's not going to happen. This morning I was listening a little bit to Kenneth Copeland's grandson. And uh, he was talking about the cares of this world. This life that we live in is, is full of cares. But you know, the Bible says that we're to live carefree. But we allow the cares of this world to dominate and control us. But you know, the, for us to live carefree, that means we've got to make a choice that I'm not going to take care. And oftentimes that what, that's what we do. We talk about taking care. We talk about receiving it. We talk about taking upon ourselves where we need to recognize that those things have been defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ and I can resist it in Jesus' name. But notice, I'm the one that does the resisting. The enemy is a liar, he's a deceiver. He wants to heap worries, he wants to heap concerns upon us, he wants to overwhelm us. You ever feel that way? You ever feel overwhelmed? But it's because we've taken it upon ourselves. We've allowed it to come into our lives. But the Bible says we have to resist it. And it says that if we'll resist it, it's got to flee from us. But you know what? It's going to come. I remember years back, Brother Hagin was talking and he said, he made this statement. He said, I have not been sick since I've received the word of God. I have not been sick a day in my life. But then he paused and he says, but I've had lots of opportunities. What does that mean? That means whatever the circumstances in your life, wherever you are, the enemy is going to try to bring things into our lives. He's going to try to heap it upon us. And that's why it's so important for us to know the word of God, because in the word of God, we're told. 
what Jesus has provided for us so that we can walk in and experience the victory. And so we resist those things in Jesus' name. You know, it, it appears so often that people are almost resistant to what Jesus has really provided for them rather than being resistant of what the enemy wants to bring into their life. You know, and part of that is because we're so familiar with worry. There, there's a, I hate to say it, but there's almost an element of comfort with it because we feel like we're doing something rather than resist it and realize that it's already been taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ and put our trust and our confidence completely in him. But you know what? When we begin to do that, we've got to look to somebody else and we can't be dependent upon self. You know, <clears throat> we want to work it out in our own strength and our own ability. I've always said one of the difficult things about Christianity is that it's free. If there was a price to pay and there was something we had to do, all of a sudden we could be involved because we're doing it. Now we're supposed to be doing it, but it's not to try to get something, it's because of what we have. But if we could earn it in our own strength because we've been told all of our life, you gotta be, you, you, gotta, you gotta make your own way. You gotta do it on your own. But here all at once in the kingdom of God, we put our trust in him. But it's in what Jesus has already done for us. In Genesis, the first chapter, God spoke to Adam and Eve and he says, I give you dominion. I give you over, dominion over the cattle, over the fish, over the birds. I give you dominion over creation. And why did he do that? Because he didn't want us to be a bunch of puppets. He wanted us to serve him out of our own free will. He wanted us to acknowledge who he is and what he's accomplished for us. And then for us to begin to walk in that. In Hebrews, the second chapter, in the 14th verse, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy, who's the him here? Speaking of Jesus that he might destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil. He destroyed that power over our lives. We have the victory because of what Jesus has truly done for us, but we have the authority. Jesus destroyed it, but then he says, now you take that which I've accomplished and you enforce it in the earth. How do we practically apply that? We practically apply it every day of our life when worry tries to come against us, when infirmity tries to come against us, when discouragement tries to come against us. And we say, no, I'm not gonna have any part of that because Jesus has already defeated the wicked one. 
And so we, we, weariness, worry is of him. And so I'm not going to accept it. Hear that? I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to receive it. Everybody else in the world can be all stressed out. But you know what? We don't have to be. Now I'm, I don't have much of an understanding of medical stuff. You know, when I, when I go for my um, for my physical, my appointment, my whatever you call it. See, I don't even know what you're supposed to call it. But he says, so do, do you take any medication? And I says, yeah. And they say, well, what is it? And I said, well, I don't know. It's about that big and it's white. <laughs> and they say, well, your records show that you, yeah, that, that's it. I haven't got it. I haven't got a clue. If Pastor Becky doesn't remember to pick up the prescription, it's not in the drawer. And so, there you go. But I have no understanding of. But but my understanding is that many physical conditions are related. To worry, anxiety, any of those things that we allow to dominate and control our life, it affects us physically. Every one of you know that it's true. Because some of you, when you worry too much, you lose your appetite. I eat. But it affects me. If I allow those things to, to come into my life, it, it affects my physical being. And it does all of us. And so why do we resist those things? Well, number one, it's because the Word of God tells us to. But when we, when we do it, when we practice what the Word says, it affects every area of our life. Not, not just our soul, although it affects that, but it affects our our physical being as well. We have to be, we need to be convinced that what the Bible tells us is true in John 10, 10. We're all familiar with it. It says the thief has come, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The thief has come for that. I don't know if you've noticed sickness steals, kills, and destroys. I don't know if you've recognized it or not, but poverty steals, kills, and destroys. Let me add one we can relate to maybe a little better. Worry steals, kills, and it destroys. Everything that goes against the Word of God, what does it do? It steals, it kills, and destroys. Well, pastor, how do I know whether it's of God or not? Well, then it goes on, it says, and Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. 
you know, however many years ago it was when we went down to Oral Roberts for orientation when Jeff was going to go down there. Oral spoke to us and as the parents and he says, you know, he says, my, my theology is very simple. And my theology evolves around John 10.10. 10. If it steals, kills, and destroys, I resist it. If it brings life abundant, I receive it. Because that's what Jesus wants to produce in each and every one of our lives if we will, if we will allow him to. You know, it's interesting. When we go through the Old Testament, it wasn't necessary for God to kill somebody to take them to heaven. We see Elijah, he went up in a chariot of fire. I don't know, but I mean, I'm looking forward to the rapture, but I just think that'd be kind of cool in itself. <clears throat> Enoch was, and then he wasn't. Just simply took him. In our example, Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, he didn't have to die again to go to heaven. He ascended on high, and he was lifted up in a cloud of witnesses. And the Bible says, in the same manner that Jesus left, he's going to come back again. And he's coming back for us. And so if, if Jesus tarries, yeah, we're all going to kick off. It's pointed unto every man wants to die. But if the rapture takes place, guess what? We're all going to be caught up. And we're going to join him in the... Wouldn't it be cool if, like right now, boom, we're just... Whew, makes you want to have a rapture drill or something. And don't worry if your loved ones aren't in this place with you. We'll... Poof. You know, it's going to be quick. Well, anyway, we're not talking about rapture. But wouldn't it be cool? I, I mean, glory to God. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I just haven't had the... I really want to see Europe before I go. <laughs> Europe? Let me tell you about Europe. It's old. Let me tell you about heaven. It's glorious. But you know what? That's why we, our mindset is so set on this world. That's why we don't resist those things when we come against us because we're convinced it's just part of life. You know, I'm guilty of it. I get up every morning and I know that I'm not 16 anymore. I feel it. And, and you know what? As a dummy, I acknowledge it. I do. But you know what? We need to acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. And there's this, this expectation in our lives that certain things, well, it's flu season. Well, I'm going to get the flu. I get the flu every year, flu season. That's just what I do. I just know it. I just know it. I just know it. Well, see, I got it. I knew I would. Of course you would. You prophesied it. Didn't know you were so spiritual, did you? You prophesied. And in your own life, and we do that all the time. In 1 Peter 
5 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you notice? He can't just devour whomever he chooses. We've got to allow him to. Why do we need to be built up? Why do we need to recognize that we have spiritual armor that we put on and we clothe ourselves with it every day? Because every day we have an adversary that is seeking to devour us. But you know what? He's not going to accomplish it. Do you know why? Because we're not going to allow him to. Because notice what the next verse says. I've already quoted it, but let's look at it again. Resist him. Steadfast, how? In faith. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same suffering were experienced by the brotherhood in the world. In other words, we resist him in faith. And how do we stand in faith? What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith cometh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You hear the word of God, faith comes. That's the process. That's what happens. Faith is easy. We can't really tell people that because we wouldn't be able to sell our volumes of books and tapes and everything else. But let me tell you something about faith. Faith is easy. God made it as simply as he possibly could. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what does that mean? When we hear the word of God, faith rises up in our life. You may not know it, but faith is rising up on the inside of you this morning. Why? Because you're hearing the word of God. You're not hearing Pastor Dave, you're hearing the word of God. And every time you hear scripture, every time you hear the word of God, faith rises on the inside of you. When you heard that passage, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There was something that triggered on the inside of you. No, it isn't because it's getting close to dinner time. It's part of it. But it was because your spirit knows that that's the answer. That thing that has been coming against you has no authority over you. And so by faith, your spirit man is saying, resist it in Jesus' name. That's what the word of God does. Faith is easy. It's all the junk that we've learned in the past that we've got to get out of the way that wants to hinder us, that wants to convince us that that is not true. It's those worldly thoughts that tell us, well, that's just how it is in the day that we're in now. Maybe that's your day, but that doesn't have to be. We can choose to believe 
what the Word of God says and take it and apply it in our lives and experience the abundance of victory. In John, the eighth chapter, the 32nd verse, it says, you shall know the truth. Truth has been given for one reason. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But we need to understand something. Truth in and of itself does not set you free. The truth that you know will set you free. I went to church 24 years of my life and I heard truth every Sunday morning. But as like the Enoch on the road where Philip comes along and Philip hears him reading from the, the scroll, the scriptures out loud and, and Philip comes up next to him and says, you know what you're reading, you understand? And he says, how can I understand it? I don't have a teacher. Invites him up into the, into the chariot with him and they're going down the road and, and, and Philip begins to, under, to explain it to him. And as they're going along, this man gets understanding of this truth that he'd been reading. And he says, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, absolutely nothing. They go down into the water and the man gets baptized. He's born again because he heard truth and he accepted and, and, and received that truth. Why is it so important for us to hear truth? Romans 10, 17, where it talks about you sh faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's in the continuous present tense in the Greek. That means the word that you hear produces faith, not the word that you've heard. And so that's why it's so important for us to hear it over and over. Am I too serious this morning? Am I, am I allowing, allowing yelling too much? But <clears throat> this is where our victory is. It's in Jesus. Well, pastor, you know, you you. you you shared too much scripture. It's the only way I know for you and I to be free. It's not my stories that will set you free. It's the word of God that'll bring freedom and wholeness into our lives. It's the word of God that'll bring victory in every area of our lives. Ephesians 1.3, we are blessed with all spiritual blessings. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings, but how do I receive them? I receive them by faith. I receive them by acknowledging what Jesus has already done for us. It tells us in 1 Peter that he's provided us with everything that is necessary for us to live a victorious, holy life. It's all been provided for us. But you know what? Oftentimes we are not aware of it or we forget about it because we don't focus upon it. We allow the things of this world to become so big and the things of this world become so loud that it drowns out everything that God is wanting to speak to us. In Ephesians, the second chapter, in the 20th verse, it says, having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, 
having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's what it's been built upon. Now to him, Ephesians 3, 20, now to him who is able, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power which is working in us. Notice where the power is working. The power is working in us. How does that power work in us? Through faith. As we've heard the word of God, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to receive what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. Why? So that we might live the victorious life. So what's the power that's working in us? We shared this, uh, well, it's probably several months ago now. But in, in Philemon, verse 6, Let's just back up to verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and your faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you. How does our faith really begin to work in our lives? By acknowledging every good thing. What are the good things? The good things are the things that Jesus is already accomplished for each and every one of us. The good thing is I was sick and I'm well because by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. The good things are I had not enough, but now that I have more than enough because my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. The good thing is that I used to worry, but I don't worry anymore because I've cast all that aside because I cast all my cares upon Jesus because I know that Jesus cares for me. You see, that's the good things. Those are the things that we can rely on. And when we begin to speak those things out, Faith is no longer dormant in our lives. It activates our faith. And the interesting thing about a faith, our faith, when it's activated, it's never enough. It just keeps, keeps receiving more and more and more because the revelation of God's word increases more and more. 
I believe God's revelation for you and I is to be perpetual. The word of God is complete. But the revelation that he wants to bring in your life and in my life, <clears throat> we've, we've just touched the surface. There is so much more that's available to each and every one of us if we will acknowledge him, if we will give him place. In James, the first chapter, in the second verse, he says, my brethren, so he's talking to us. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That doesn't seem to make much sense to me. Count it joy when you fall into various trials. But we're to know something, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. <clears throat> you know, when we walk in faith, we can be assured of one thing. It's going to be tested. In fact, faith is no, of no benefit if it's never tested. Because there's, there, there, there's nothing to resist. An interesting thing about faith and patience, and patience here doesn't, isn't talking about putting up with something. When the Bible talks about patience here, it's talking about being consistent all the time. And that's why you see throughout the scriptures, faith and patience always used in conjunction with one another. Why is that? Because if we're really walking in faith, we're patient or we're consistent. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the conditions are in our life, we're the same no matter what. When things are wonderful, we're happy, we're joyous. Why? Because God is supplying all of our needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. When everything is difficult, we're, we're, we're joyous. Why? Because we know that even though we don't see it in, our, in the physical right now, my God still supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. So when difficult time comes, there's this expectation that God is gonna meet every one of my needs. That God is gonna bring about healing when healing is needed. Whatever he's promised me in his word, it already belongs to me whether I, whether I see it or not. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking, Nothing. Isn't that interesting? We're supposed to lack nothing. Nothing. That means we're not supposed to lack physical health. We're not supposed to lack emotional well-being. We're not supposed to lack um, having enough to supply our needs and enough to give to others. Every area of our life, he wants us to walk in victory. And he says, call it all joy. Joy and happiness aren't the same thing. Happiness is dependent upon the circumstances in our life. Joy is a, is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And the fruit of the Spirit is dependent upon what we know. I can be experiencing in the natural something that isn't making me happy. But I can still experience the joy of the Lord because I know that he's the one that gives me the victory in the midst of the trial. And so, what's going to control my life then? It's what I give attention to. If I give attention to the to the difficulty, that's what's going to affect me and I'm going to demonstrate a lack of happiness. But if I look at the God's done for me, in the midst of it, I can have, I can have joy. Most of you have already heard this. Most of you have heard everything I have to share, but... But it relates to this. And again, I, I, I know that I've shared this many times, but I was having some physical problems. And <clears throat> about that same time, there was a lot of stuff going on and Becky had some things, Pastor Becky had some things going on and so I didn't want to worry her, so I, I just kept stuffing it. And, and so there was one of the holidays and I thought, well, when this is over, I, I'll need to go to the doctor. And I, I just put it off and... And finally, it just got to the point I needed, I knew I needed to do something. And, and, and I wasn't very happy about it. In fact, it was affecting me because I was focusing upon the symptoms. And so I sat down with my loving wife one night to open up and share my heart with her. And I told her how I was having these physical issues and she started to laugh and I thought this isn't cool <laughs> because I'm feeling really bad right now and she laughed she said I'm sorry <laughs> you know, how many of you know when somebody's laughing at you and they tell you sorry it doesn't, it doesn't carry much weight so she's, she's laughing. I mean, she's not laughing. She's laughing. And so this laughter goes on and it was, it was really a stupid laugh. And so I, I start to laugh. And all at once, it came out of my belly. And we, we were... We were on the verge of rolling on the floor. If Aaron, who has a key to our house, had come at that point in time, he would have called somebody. <laughs> but we're just, I mean, we're talking deep belly laugh. It's, it's coming out of our spirit. And it was like the whole thing was lifted. And, and the thing about it is, is what took place was the focus went from the symptom to our Heavenly Father who sent a Jesus, our, our Jesus, to pay the price to take stripes so that I might be healed. I've never had another symptom. What was it, Pastor? I don't know. I didn't I never went to the doctor. But that was probably 
five years ago, eight years ago, I don't know, it was a long time ago. What are we focusing on? What are we looking to? Are we looking to the circumstance? Are we looking to the natural? Or are we looking to what God has done for us? In in 2 Kings, there's this account It's about this Shamanite woman. And it talks about how the prophet, one day she invited him into the house to to share a meal with him. And so after that, every time he would come along, um, he would stop in and he'd turn in and he'd have a meal with him. And eventually what she she said to her husband, she says, uh, Why don't we add a room onto the house? And then every time the prophet comes along, he'll have a place to stay. And so they added onto the house. It says they put a bed in there and a chair and a table and a lamp. So every time the prophet was in the area, he'd come in there and uh, he could stay as long as he wanted. And so after they had done this for him, the prophet wanted to to bless them. And and so the prophet says, what can I do for you? And uh, says, well, maybe I can speak to uh, the leaders and they they can give you favor. And and she says, I I don't need any favor. I'm, I'm totally content with what I have. And so the servant of the prophet said to the prophet, well, um, she has no child. And so there's no heir, and her husband is very old. And so it looked impossible. So the prophet calls her in and says, uh, this, type, this year, next year, you're going uh, to have a child. And she says, don't, don't, don't lie to me. Listen to me. Oftentimes... Remember, was it last week we talked about, maybe it was Wednesday night, I don't remember. But we talked about the gospel. That one of the definitions that's given to the gospel, not just simply good news, but good news that is too good to be true. That's how the gospel sounds. It sounds too good to be true, but it is true. Praise the Lord. But that's how it is when when we see one of the promises in the word of God oftentimes, we're kind of like that Shemanite woman. We, we say, well, don't lie to me. You know, I share with people that are in the hospital that by the stripes of Jesus, they've been healed. And people say, well, don't give them false hope. How can you give people false hope when they have no hope? But what that person is saying is don't lie to me. Don't lie to them. The reason they say that is because they don't really believe that the word of the Lord is truth. Why would she say to the prophet, don't lie to me? Because her experience is 
that she's not going to have a child. And probably over the years, she's had a lot of false hope. And she said to the prophet, don't lie to me. And he says, it's going to be. And so within a year's time, here she is. She has a child. The child begins to grow. One day the young man is out in the field with his dad. He gets this horrible headache. He can't hardly stand it. And so the father tells one of the servants, take him to his mother. Isn't that pretty typical? <laughs> so, takes him in. And he dies. But see, she had experienced something. She had experienced the power of God. She had experienced it firsthand. So she says to one of the young men, go get a Get a donk and take donkey and take me to the prophet. And so he goes out to get it, and the husband says to the servant, Everything okay? And he says, Everything's fine. It's Schroeder's paraphrase. So they take off and they're they're heading for the prophet, and they're still a distance off. I'm just telling it because it's it's a long story to read. You can read it for yourself. It's in 2 Kings 4. And so they're 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 a ways off and they recognize they're coming. So the prophet says to his servant, go and, and meet the woman and to ask her if all is well with her husband, if all is well with her, if all is well with her son. And so he goes and greets them. What's her response? Her response is, all is well. That's a strange thing to say when your child is dead on the bed. Makes me think of Jesus. When the man came to him and his daughter was on the verge of death and got Jesus to go with them, but they were interrupted on their journey. But then they began again and one of the servants come to him and says, don't bother the master any longer, your daughter's dead. And Jesus turned to the man and said, basically say nothing, only believe. They went to the house, and all the mourners were there. What did Jesus do? He shooed all the mourners out, took a couple of his, his disciples and the mom and the dad and went into the room. And what did he do? He raised the girl up. Why did he not want anybody to say anything? Because he didn't want that negativity. Well, here, here you have a woman, old covenant, who had experienced the abundance of God, who at one time in her life had told the prophet, don't lie to me. And now her son is dead. And when the servant comes, what does she say? She says, all is well. Why? Because she wasn't looking at the circumstances. She was looking at the prophet who represented the word of God. So she goes to the prophet and what does she do? She falls down at the feet of the prophet. And she says, I told you, I told you. Don't give me a son. Don't give me something and take it away from me. So what did they do? They mounted up. They went back. And the prophet went up to the room. And he raised the young man from the dead. 
Now, all of us have circumstances in our life where it appears that, that something's died, that there's no hope, that there's no way out. But see, the answer has not changed from 2 Kings 4 to now. Their answer is still the same. We turn to the Word of God and we acknowledge and recognize what Jesus has accomplished. Because for us, it's a completed work. It's something that's already been done. And we put our trust and we put our confidence in Him and we shut everything else out and we say, no, I'm not going to listen to that, that any longer. I'm not going to listen to the lie. I'm going to listen and I'm going to focus on the truth. And his word is truth. And so when we trust the word of God, we're trusting Jesus because they're one and the same. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. The word dwelled among us. Jesus, the word, has spoken to you and I. And that word is not just simply a prophetic word for the future. That is a word that has been manifested for you and I now. Today is our day of salvation. Today is the day that the price has been paid. So whatever it is that I'm struggling with, whatever it is that wants to dominate and control my life, through the word of God, through the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been given authority to speak to that thing and say no more. You have no more access to me because I've become wise to your tactics. And that door is shut. And I'm not going to open it anymore. Why? Because I have the victory in Christ Jesus. Well, pastor, that's not easy. Who said it was easy? Where does it say that it's easy? But it's where the victory lies. Because oftentimes everything within us wants to speak exactly what is contrary to the word of God. Why? Because that's how we feel at that moment. And that's why at that moment, we must be bold, we must be confident, we must be assured that God's word is true and that God's word will never change and that I can rely upon him and depend upon him and he'll never forsake me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Bring up Brother Hagin once again. I remember years back he was talking about how when he was building Raymond, they'd, they'd have these big debts that were coming up. But he says, you know, I never worried about it. But he says, I didn't just immediately spew out a bunch of scripture that I would know. I would sit back with the word of God and I would read those scriptures that I already knew. I would read them and I'd read them. And then after I would read them over and over again, that's when I'd pray and that's when I'd put my faith in motion. You know, this Christian life isn't something that we, we approach flippantly. Something that we need to be serious about. 
Because we're living in serious times. And every time we look at the news, especially this past week with the, the shootings and so forth, we're reminded that this world that we live in is a wicked place. And for us to be able to rise above it and not be dominated by it, there's got to be something that's alive on the inside of us. And that thing that needs to be alive is the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a day to back off. This is a day to press forward. This is a day to make decisions in our life. Decisions that this Word of God is going to be put in its proper place in our lives. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by this Word. This is the victory that overcomes the world. My faith. My faith in the completed works of Jesus. Thank God that he's done it. Our part is to believe it. And as we believe it, we begin to act upon it. And you know what? When you really believe something, actions become easier. Because true faith always demands an action. It demands a response. And we do that as we rely upon him. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. This, this is this is something to be happy about. Glory to God. But it's something to be serious about too. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That your will for each and every one of us has never changed. And Father, we choose to follow you. Not our will, your will be done in each of our lives. And Father, you receive all the glory because you're so worthy of it. And so we thank you for the privilege of knowing you, the privilege of serving you, the privilege of being able to call Father, Father, and Jesus, you brother. Open our hearts and open our eyes to see the truth, to apply it, to walk in it. Lord, we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.